because it's getting ready to be on. That's a lot of ranch dressing. Who doesn't like ranch dressing? I certainly don't want it thrown in my face when I'm expecting no. whipped cream. That just means I'm never leaving my kids alone with you because you're really creepy. Awkward. You guys are so young and stupid. No idea who you're talking about. It's a faith-based sports radio program. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. I'm not certain that that format is ever going to work. I love you guys. love the program. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. I think it is time to demonstrate the full power of this station. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the program. Benson and those guys is brought to you by Town and Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. Ants, bees, or critters of any kind, call Town and Country for the solution, Town and Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Visit our website, btgprogram.com, or on Twitter, at btgprogram. We have a jam-packed show for you. We'll be talking with Bryce Johnson, nationally syndicated host of the faith-based radio program, Unpacking It, as well as with Tim Hiller former NFL quarterback and author of the soon-to-be-released book, Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. I.K., how do you, boy, I struggle with this guy. I've never heard of the guy before until he punches Geno Smith in the head. <laughs> Nobody had. In fact, all the headlines I've seen about the Bills claiming him aren't, Bills claim, I.K. in a poly, it's Bills claim guy who punched Geno. Nobody's ever heard of him. Boy, the Bills are stockpiling between him Richie Incognito, uh, even Percy Harvin. Now, I'm not saying any of these guys might. They're, they're probably fine. But you're just adding these types of players. You wonder what happens when you put them all in the same locker room. And it's a big difference from the Buddy Nicks Bills, who were, they weren't always the most talented guys, but they were character guys. And now that that's kind of flip-flop the other direction now. This this story, you just haul off and, and punch your quarterback in, in the jaw? I don't understand. You know what I don't understand is why have we not heard, if I did that in my workplace or you did that in your workplace, we we would be arrested for assault. But in the NFL locker room, that type of behavior is okay, over $600 reportedly. Yeah, that was a weird story. And there's like different versions of it going around now where originally it was, oh, he sucker punched Gino, and now you're hearing from other people, well, Gino was in his face waving a finger, and and so who really knows? We'll probably never know the actual story, but... No, but I never bought that original, he just sucker punched him out of nowhere. Because who does that? Exactly right. Who? I mean, you had to say something, right? Uh, whatever it is, maybe you're you're looking for your 600 bucks, and Gino answers you in a way that you're not happy with. I'm not justifying it, but... You just don't go up and punch somebody over a $600 tab. Uh, you don't go up and just punch somebody out of, out of the blue anyway. You got yourself out of the, out of the New York Jets. You got yourself off the Jets. If I'm Blake Bortles of the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> I'm punching somebody. Well, or I'm, ex- I'm looking at somebody's maybe punching me looking to get out of Jacksonville. I'm going to be hanging low. But it doesn't look good for Gino, does it? I mean, it just, it looks worse and worse for the guy. First of all, that, that your teammates don't respect you enough that they feel like they can punch you in the face, but also now just the lack of leadership, it, it, it that looks like a busted pick for the Jets. You're going to miss six to ten weeks. You're going to come back. You know, are the Jets really going to uh, 
you got Ryan Fitzpatrick. Of course, you're not thinking, okay, he's the quarterback of this team that's going to take us to the Super Bowl. Well, you weren't expecting Geno Smith to do it either. So what are you really missing? And when you come back from this type of thing, is there a job there waiting for you? I mean, I know the the unwritten rule, you're not supposed to lose your job to an injury, but is it's Geno Smith. You, you didn't have a last few years have not been great. Yeah. What are you coming back to? Are you are you really gonna have something there waiting for you? I think you might possibly have seen the last of Geno Smith. And I, I think. You now and maybe Ryan, I'm wrong. Ryan Fitzpatrick's never been the healthiest guy. He gets banged up a lot. He's not a big guy. By the time Geno Smith gets back, it may be the Bryce Petty show. We don't know. As I said, we've got a jam packed show for you, so we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. We'll talk with Tim Hiller author of the new book, Strive. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Benson and Those Guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. The warm weather is here to stay, but so are those pesky critters. Bees are beginning to build their hives, ants are driving everyone nuts, and spiders seem to be popping up in every corner of the house. But thanks to Town & Country Pest Solutions, these nuisances can be no more. If you have a serious problem that needs to be controlled, give them a call. I'm not just advertising for them. I am a customer, and believe me, they have the solution for any pest problem. I've mentioned it before, and it's still true. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. Tim Hiller is a former NFL quarterback. He's the co-owner of Next Level Performance and the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. Tim, welcome back to the program. Glad you could join us. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. Last time you were with us, we talked about your story really being one of remarkable perseverance, devastating injuries, both in high school and college. You signed with the Colts as an undrafted free agent in 2010. How much did you draw on those experiences for your new book? Very much so. Uh, You know, it's a mixture of some of my own uh, meditations on scripture and different thoughts and different stories that I've come across in my working life since my career has ended. But but a large amount of them are from my time, both as an athlete and as a coach, and just some various experiences and how God has moved and worked in in and through those experiences. Now, you were teammates with the likes of Frank Reich and Peyton Manning. In the book, do you dish out any good dirt on these guys? <laughs> That's a fair question. Uh, you know, there's a funny story. I don't want to give too much of it away. Um, early on in the, the book, so the format of Strive is it's a 52-week uh, devotional challenge, if you will. So every week follows a very similar format. Um, not like a daily devotional. It's a little bit longer in length and richness. But uh, each week there's a reading uh, with scripture. There's a story. Uh, and then there's an application to our lives bullet points that the reader can take away and, and act on and live out and, and be in the week ahead. And so it's really designed to be a kind of a year-long journey and, and to be read throughout the year and give us some challenges. And early on in the book, I do share um, a couple stories about my time with the Colts. I do share some stories about being released, some of my experiences that I had to learn and grow through that. Um, but, but one of the stories I can do tell is the time when I sat in Peyton Manning's uh, chair by mistake uh, day one of the job. So I, I won't elaborate too far from there, but uh, kind of an embarrassing moment. Uh, that ended up really having kind of a, a a neat principle behind it that I try to pull out based on scripture and John. So 
Uh, I won't share too much more than that, but I did sit in the chair by mistake and kind of had a embarrassing moment. Now, I know it's not due to be released till October 1st, but can you tell us a little bit about what the readers can expect from the book and perhaps the impact you hope to achieve through it? Absolutely. Um, you know, this, this journey, I know we're going to talk a little bit about kind of uh, the few years of, of progress and work leading up to the book here uh, shortly, but you know, my hope is that it would just impact many lives, that it might help people through some of my stories and my experiences say, you know, I've been feeling that too. I've thought that too. I've had those struggles too, or even those, those successes and, and joy points as well. And, uh, wow, I can see God's hand moving through it in a way that maybe I didn't notice before. And so my goal and my hope is really to simply, uh, touch lives and to, um, share the gospel in a way that, that's relevant, that meets people where they are and that, uh, helps them to really, as the subtitle says, pursue what matters. I think so often, we're striving for things every single day, uh, whether we know it or not. It could be our career, it could be our family, it could be financial uh, security. There are a number of things that, that we all are pursuing and striving for in different ways, and we may not realize it because we're moving so fast. And so the, the idea behind the book, woven throughout all the challenges, is to step back and say, okay, what is really most important in my life, and what am I living for? And um, hopefully to persuade some readers that uh, Jesus deserves a, an honest, hard look in their lives to enter into a relationship with him. We're talking with Tim Hiller, author of the soon-to-be-released book, Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. In the book, Tim, you refer to how six words you heard at Colt's training camp really changed your life, and those words being, we have to let you go. Can you talk a little bit about how difficult that was to take, but also how God has used that in your life? Absolutely. Uh, There's an entry in Strive where I, I talk a little bit about that story and what a defining moment it was. For me, and I think when anytime we face a crossroads or a change of plans in our life uh, that maybe our will and God's will didn't exactly match, we tend to ask why and we tend to question, uh, much like stories we read in, in the Old Testament, like Job, for example, where um, Job has lived a, a blameless life and yet um, sometimes God's will has a greater plan and yet, you know, to this day we're reading Job's story and we're all impacted by it. But at the time, Job couldn't see it. And I think there's things when we go through adversity in the Christian walk and in life in general that we can't see the outcome, we can't see beyond it, we can't see what God is either saving us from, or a new door he's going to open, or something we're going to learn from that experience. And so I do have uh, an entry uh, within Strive called Defining Moments, and I talk about those moments and how they matter. Um, and, and for me, it was really an identity crisis. I, I went through a period of time where, um, to be honest, I had a you know, set in mind that my career was going to be in the NFL at least for a few years. And didn't really have a plan B. I was so focused, so confident, and I'd worked so hard to get there. And then when when plans shift and when plans change, you really have to step back and say, God, what do you want me to get out of this? What do you want me to learn? And so that that is something that I hope to break through in a couple of the entries. But it, it really did send me on a new path and help me realize that football is what I do. Uh, it's something I love, but it's ultimately not who I am. Who I am is secure in Jesus Christ. So it, it uh, was a hard lesson to learn. And I think sometimes we have those things that we're living for that we don't even realize, and when they're taken away. It really does kind of make the rubber meet the road and help us identify who we truly are as a person who God made us to be. I'm assuming writing this book took a lot of hours, a lot of your time. Which has been more difficult for you, playing football at the high levels, which you played, or writing this book? <laughs> well, I, you know, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I think football brings an element of the mental and the physical, which I, I might say is, is slightly harder, uh, just being through some of the you know, surgeries and injuries that I've been through as well as physical demands of the game, uh, on top of it, the mental demands and time that you put in. I, I would say that over the long run, it definitely is harder, but 
Um, what mentally writing a book is a difficult challenge. Um, you know, writing Strive was really a four-year process. This really began in 2011. And how it began was I was going through kind of that, that tough time and those challenges. And I've not been one that journals well. I know journaling is a spiritual discipline that many folks will use in their devotional time. And, and I'm just not very good at it. But one way that I found I was able to journal after I'd been challenged by a friend and a mentor to consider it again was to really write as if writing to an audience. When I was meditating in scripture, I was going through my devotional time to think about sharing that with someone else. And it became a very effective way for me to quasi-journal and to be able to really dwell on, on scripture and what I was you know, reading and thinking about. And at the same time, during that season of life, I was really looking for a new devotional. I get several via email, uh, several that I read in, in books and different things to supplement my Bible reading. And I just didn't find one that I liked. So it was kind of a byproduct of the journaling writing to an audience as well as not having a devotional that, that got me starting to write these longer entries, these weekly challenges that ultimately made up Strive. And um, as I wrote those, I had a, a co-worker, uh, I had a, a friend, and I had another co-worker of my wife who were all going through a hard time. And, and so I had a few of these entries. Uh, I shared a couple with my wife. She shared a couple with her co-workers. And it kind of multiplied, and a few of them got emailed on. And, and folks came back and said, you know, you really should start a blog. And I thought, oh, you know, what's that? How do I do that? And so um, the next step in the journey was was that blog. And it was a blog called Encouragement. Uh, the second E in Encouragement was a three backwards, which one was my jersey number when I played, and two uh, was really three points that I wanted to summarize within the, the entries to the blog, and that was this, um, to see a need, use your gifts, and meet the need. So Encouragement was really about using your gifts and talents that God has given us to serve others. And uh, with that, I got in a good routine of posting daily to that blog. I had a nice email following and blasting out to several folks. And probably about two years had passed um, as I worked on that blog. And fast forward to um, a couple years later, I was at a leadership conference in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, I had a friend who had given me some tickets to it. And I was sitting at a table in the back, and the table was very empty, and I wondered why. And it ended up being the speaker's table. And some of the keynote speakers included the likes of Tom Izzo, Michigan State basketball coach. Uh, Sue Enquest, who was a longtime softball coach at UCLA and a very gifted communicator. And one of the other speakers um, that I ended up having the good fortune of having lunch with that day, and I believe it was a God-ordained appointment, was an author uh, named Adrian Gostick. And Adrian Gostick is a New York Times bestselling author. He's written many business and managerial leadership books. One of them, uh, probably his most popular, being The Carrot Principle. And I met Adrian, and we really hit it off. His son uh, was playing high school football, and uh, he and I just had a great conversation. We ended up staying in touch via email. And he ended up reading my blog, and he said, you know, you really need to get published. And I thought, once again, how do, how do I do that? And, you know, I hadn't, hadn't even crossed my mind. And um, with Adrian's help, I, I sent him a manuscript. He tore it to shreds, which created several more months of work. Uh, I sent it back again in kind of a new format that Strive is, and he said, I think you've got it. Let me help you. And he really helped me network and get it in front of some publishers. Um, some of them were, were dead ends, but eventually I did find Deep River Books, which is uh, Christian Publishing House that has agreed to take a risk on Strive and uh, give me an opportunity. And um, so Adrian was a key part in that. But it's just kind of little God stuff along the way over what has really been a four-year journey to this point. The book is, of course, called Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. What are some of those things, Tim, which uh, you would say really matter? Why is it so easy to seemingly get distracted from focusing on them? You know, that's a great question. I think more than ever, we are busy people. You know, we look at social media, we look at the news, we look at television, we have so many things coming our way. I mean, the amount of email I get on a, a daily basis 
between my personal account and my, my work account is just stunning and it's hard to keep up. And so we get so ingrained in what we have to do day in and day out that it's almost like we're in the forest, but we can't see the trees. We need to step back and, and really reevaluate how we're spending our time, what relationships we're in and, and how we're living our life and why we're doing the things we're doing. And I think it's just very easy to lose focus when we're, we're so busy and we're so inundated with information. And sometimes we're so focused on pursuing goals. But um, the one thing, again, in, in the subtitle hints at this is just the challenge to step back and say, does this really matter? Is this the most important thing? If, if my life ended tomorrow, uh, would I be pleased with what I'm pursuing and what I'm living for? And uh, is the ultimate thing that is a relationship with Jesus Christ something that I need to consider? And so it, it's really a humble sense and a humble way to try to put that, put that forward before the reader and, and to ask themselves the question, can my life be more? Can I live for more? Tim Hiller is a former NFL quarterback. He joins us on Benson and Those Guys. He is also the co-owner of Next Level Performance and the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. Former Green Bay Packers receiver Greg Jennings, currently with the Dolphins, he endorses your book, saying uh, how you share in it, the diligence in pursuing God will always result in a winning lifestyle. Are you able to expound on that just a bit more and give us some insight on what Jennings may have gleaned from that book? Yeah, no, Greg was, was gracious enough to uh, review the book and, and be one of um, the people that endorsed it. Adrian Gastic, who I referenced earlier, was another one that was willing to read it. So once the manuscript was done and we started doing the typesetting of the interior, I had a group of folks that were um, just very kind and generous with their time and willing to, to read the manuscript. and. Uh, those are kind words that, that Greg mentioned. I, you know, I think for someone like him who has a healthy perspective and knowing Greg, he, he holds on to things in his life with a loose grip. And being a follower of Christ, he understands that his football career has been very blessed. He's had a, a great run in the NFL and hopefully it will last many more years. But I think he really realizes more than most guys in the league that this is short. Um, it is a part of my life, but it's not ultimately what defines my identity. And so my hope is that, it, you know, for a guy like Greg, that that, that was was affirmed for him that he could say, you know, um, I, I have been blessed in so many ways, but my true identity is, is in Christ. And so I'm striving to be a, a Pro Bowl player this year. I'm striving to have a great career. I'm striving to make playoffs and the Super Bowl. And some of those great goals that he's already attained and wants to continue to attain, that he also wants to step back and, and be a great disciple of Jesus and, and raise kids and uh, live in a marriage and in a family that, that is also that way. So um, I hope we can have the same impact on others. Your speaking schedule has you often sharing with student-athletes. Do you think there are added distractions for that particular group of people when it comes to pursuing what matters most? And how do you advise them in staying focused on God? It's a, it's a great point. You know, I think one of the biggest distractions, um, and I've been talking about this often in, in the speaking circuit and with some of our sessions this summer uh, through Next Level Performance, you referenced, I had a neat opportunity this summer on a weekly basis to mentor a group of about 10 quarterbacks from Southwest Michigan area from various schools. And we had a module. We, we, every session that we do at, at Next Level Performance is an on-field component and then an off-field component that's designed to um, build leadership and character in student-athletes. And we had a specific segment focused on confidence. How do we be confident? And there are three points that we need to stop comparing, we need to prepare, and we need to be humble. And I really want to hone in that, that um, first point about stop comparing. I think students have tremendous pressure today on themselves and their lives and their peer groups and their friends to compare. And there's a constant looking around of, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? And 
where we should be looking to, to ask that question, am I okay, is to God. Because he's our creator, he's our maker, he's our heavenly father. Uh, he loves us. He, he created us for a unique uh, purpose in this world. He gave us unique gifts and talents. And it's very easy, especially for that age group of, of teens that you uh, realize, as well as student-athletes in a competitive environment uh, during their teen years, to compare, to look around. And I, I love a quote by Andy Stanley, um, you know, a very gifted author, pastor, speaker. Andy Stanley would say that there's no win in comparison. There's no win in, in looking around and, and measuring up to others. Where I need to measure is the ultimate standard, uh, and, and that's what we find in Christ. But I think it's um, definitely a distraction in our world for that particular age segment of teenage teenagers and teenage student-athletes to really look around and compare with other people to see if they're measuring up. I know you've shared this previously on our program, but your heart for Christ really comes through in just talking with you, and I'm sure it's going to come through in this book. Would you mind sharing your testimony again and telling our listeners how you first became a believer in Christ? Todd, I'd love to, and uh, it, you know, it's only by His grace that, that me or anyone uh, is in the position that we're in. And you know, I grew up in a in a Christian home. My parents took us to church every Sunday. It was a mandatory activity and something that. Uh, my brother and I were involved in, but it was one of those things that my faith is really my parents' faith growing up. If you would have asked me, probably as young as age 12, 13, 14, I would have told you I was a Christian, but looking back, I, I honestly didn't fully know what that meant. Uh, I honest, honestly fully didn't understand the, the weight of sin and, and the gospel and what Jesus did for us. So I went away to school, and uh, in 2005, I ended up starting as a true freshman at Western Michigan University, and I suffered a devastating knee injury. I tore my ACL, MCL, PCL, my right knee, and I was out an entire year. I registered and set out the 2006 season, and I came back in 2007, and it was a dark time. It was a time of searching. It was a time of something that I loved and had taken for granted in many ways, uh, something where I, you know, made it an idol and really placed my identity, um, an idol being anything that takes the place of God, and football really had be- become that, and it had been something that I had just thrown myself into full commitment and stepping back and looking at that injury, it was really something that, that forced me to grow, forced me to say, is this faith that I you know, supposedly claim really real? And it was in 2007 when I was coming back off of that injury, I had the opportunity with my then-girlfriend now, uh, wife Michelle, to work at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp in Albion College in Albion, Michigan. And I was there to be a speaker uh, throughout the week. I was there to... Um, be a huddle leader and invest in kids, and I ended up being the one that got invested in. And what I came to, to see and what God really revealed to me was that football was a platform. It was an opportunity to do things for others. And up until that point, I'd been so invested in winning games and being the best that I could be and leading the team and, and self, self, self. And what really blew the doors off of me at that camp was that football was a platform, an opportunity. Uh, because I had uh, a voice, because others were looking to me, uh, because of our society's fascination with athletics, I had a, not only the privilege, but also the responsibility to use that as a way to share my faith with others. So that's at that camp that uh, I experienced personal conversion. I experienced um, the Holy Spirit um, coming into my life, and, and I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord uh, at that camp in 07, um, about eight years ago, and I've been walking with, uh, with Jesus since, and it really was a transformational experience. And from that point forward, football really meant less and less. Not so much of the effort, Still will put in the time, still put in the effort, but um, it was a perspective change. It really helped me step back and say, this isn't my all in all. My identity isn't tied up in this. If I have a bad game, you know, I'm disappointed, but at the end of the day, it doesn't crush me because my identity is in Jesus Christ, not in this temporary game. And um, I think that injury and the path thereafter really set me on the course 
um, to be where God wanted me to be, to then be at that camp and to meet him personally. Well, praise the Lord. I love hearing the different testimonies, how people first came to meet Christ. How can we, how can our listeners pray for you specifically? Do you have any prayer requests? You know, my, my wife and I are, are new parents. Uh, we had our, our first son, Daniel James, um, in, in June, on June 12th, and he's healthy and happy. But um, I, I would just be honored if, if folks would pray for our marriage, pray for uh, our parenting, and, and pray for him if he grows, that he would come to know the Lord, um, and that he would he would pray for next-level performance in, in the vocal, or uh, that we that strive would be used and that next level would be used to make an impact for the kingdom. Uh, we just want to grow uh, both. We want to get the book in as many cool camps as we can. We want to use next level as a platform to um, build young men and women of character and, and young men and women that use sports as that same platform that I articulated in my own life, use it as a way to impact others and then as a springboard into their, you know, their marriages, their careers, um, their time away at college, that they would stand firm on their beliefs. And so uh, those would all be things that, that you could lift up, and I would be just, just honored and most grateful. Well, it would be our pleasure to do that, and congratulations on the birth of your son. Your book is set to be released October 1st. How how can listeners get a copy? Absolutely. Uh, it is available on Amazon now, so if you go to Amazon.com and the search bar at the top, if you just search for Tim Hiller and then Strive, uh, it'll pop right up at the top of your results. Or you can go to TimHiller.com, and on the top of TimHiller.com, there's a number of tabs uh, for some different things that we're working on, and one of them uh, says Strive Book. And if you were to click on uh, Strive Book right there, you would be able to uh, purchase your copy on pre-order now, and then they'll ship October 1st. Well, Tim, thanks again for joining us. I pray that God would not only bless you, but all those who read your new book. Well, thank you, Rick. I appreciate it, and God bless you. Thanks for the time. That's former NFL quarterback Tim Hiller. His new book is Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. You can get it at Amazon.com or through TimHiller.com. That's TimHiller.com. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Former Baltimore Orioles star prospect and popular former Rochester Red Wing Bobby Bonner will be speaking at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton, on Sunday, August 23rd. Come hear this dynamic man of God who walked away from the game of baseball while in his prime to serve the Lord as a missionary to the nation of Zambia. Bobby currently serves as a pastor in the Kansas City area, and you will be blessed by his heart to love God and serve others. And coming in September, evangelist and pastor Tim Lee will be at First Bible as part of their Counting the Cost missions focus. For more information, visit their website at fbbc.info. That's Bobby Bonner, Sunday, August 23rd, at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton. Tim Hiller was striving for a prized roster spot with the Indianapolis Colts when six words changed everything. We have to let you go. In his new book, Strive, former collegiate and NFL quarterback Tim Hiller leads you on a year-long journey, taking small steps each week on the path to making your life matter and to developing more and more into the person God designed you to be. Strive by Tim Hiller, now available on Amazon or at timhiller.com. Welcome back to Benson and Those Guys at BTG Program. Of course, the show is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. By now, you've probably seen the comments made by Houston Texans running back Arian Foster pertaining to his atheistic beliefs. The article, which appeared in ESPN the magazine and made headline splashes on most every news sports website, 
was titled The Confession of Arian Foster in an almost mocking jab at religion and religious traditions. The thing that struck me most was not necessarily his lack of belief in God. I, I think that's fairly common. Even among those who, who claim that they're, that they believe in God, their lifestyle suggests that in actuality, they don't believe at all. But what struck me is how antagonistic the authors seem to be. Didn't you pick up on that? Now, I mean, perhaps that was just my perception and, and interpretations, but I didn't get the sense that Arian was as aggressive in advancing his atheistic values as was the author. He really set the tone early on in the piece that it was like locker rooms were just populated by a whole bunch of Tim Tebow's, you know, who were silencing any opposition. And I, I have a hard time in the world of sports where we see athletes being arrested and imprisoned and raping people seemingly every week in the news that that it would actually be this culture of of domineering Christians, you know? Yeah, so you, you, you picked up on the same thing. I mean, I was thinking perhaps it was just me. I got the sense that Foster was suggesting that he and probably others who believe as he does that uh, they've been the victim of intolerance at the hands of many Bible-toting, Jesus-praising, clean-living individuals which make up the average NFL locker room and that the Tim Tebow personalities are more the norm than the exception. I mean, seriously? I mean, simply based on the headlines, as you just said, the quotes, the actions, the criminal offenses that we hear of, that would seem contrary to the picture presented in the article, or at least the picture as it appeared to me. Now, of course, I make no claims to knowing what really goes on inside an NFL locker room, nor do I think that the headlines, the quotes, the actions, the criminal offenses that we just listed are, uh, that we as fans here, that, that those are common uh, or complete representation of the personalities found in those rooms. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's all-encompassing of NFL locker rooms, but I do think you can make some assumptions based on those things, as well as simply taking a look at your average workplace. I mean, wouldn't you think that a similar representation and percentage of Jesus worshipers and non-worshipers would would extend beyond the NFL? I mean, the same thing in where you work. I think the same percentages would apply. And I don't think that Bible-toting, Jesus-praising, clean-living individuals make up the majority of most any workplace. In fact, I tend to think that it's those people who are likely the victims of intolerance as opposed to those who choose to not believe in God. I mean, you want to find out, right? Do a test in your own workplace. Go tell everyone in all the different cubicles or the workstations at your employer about Jesus and see if they're in agreement with you or if, or if in fact, they disagree and begin to alienate you as some sort of Jesus freak. Now, all that said, there are always aggressive personalities who will turn people off by the way they share any of their values or beliefs. I think there's a time and a place. And in some situations, an overly aggressive approach to sharing your faith may actually do more damage than good. Now, of course, I'm not advocating for hiding your faith or even being hesitant to share it. Of course not. But I think it's important to have some relational ability in sharing, or you may be perceived as what we so often hear as forcing it down someone's throat. And I can certainly see if Arian Foster had believers taking such an approach without having any relationship with him, that it would be off-putting. And I can say that by, because in the article, he talks about the respect he has for Raven's Justin Forsett and the caring approach with which 
Forset took. Can I just say that sharing Jesus with someone will always be better received when the person feels that you genuinely care about them, and are, and it's not just about numbers for you or winning one more for your church. I mean, approach them with love. And starting off with, did you know that you are going to hell, does not necessarily convey love or caring, regardless of whether or not it's true. If believers took an uncaring, overly aggressive, in-your-face type of approach with Arian Foster, well, then you can see where he could perceive intolerance from Christians. I mean, as you said, right out of the gate, the author of the article asked the age-old question of why would, why would God extend vengeance and evil to those on one side of the street and show mercy and favor to those on the other? I mean, it's often asked, why didn't God create a world where tragedy and suffering didn't exist? And the answer is he did. Mm-hmm. He created that world. Genesis one thirty one says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The Bible says it's because of sin that nature was corrupted, and thorns and thistles entered the world. Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In other words, nature itself longs for redemption to come and for things to be set right. Sin is the source of disorder and chaos, and when God decided to create humans, he wanted us to experience love. But in order to love, God had to give us free will to decide whether to love or not to love, because love always involves a choice. So in order for us to experience God, God gave man a free will. But unfortunately, humans use that free will in rejecting God and walking away from him. And that has resulted in the introduction of evil and of pain and of suffering. And we all have a part in it. Romans 3.23 says, We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So much of the world's suffering results from the sinful action or inaction of ourselves and of others. People wonder where God is when, when, when so many are hungry and starving. Yet the world produces enough food for each person to have, what, 3,000 calories a day. This is, the food is there. So instead of wondering where God is, perhaps wonder, where, where's your action? What are you doing about it? I mean, you can use to choose your, you can choose to use your hand to hold a gun and shoot someone, or you can use it to feed hungry people. It's your choice. But what you can't do is shoot someone and then blame God for the existence of evil and suffering or blame the gun. I mean, you did it. The existence of pain and suffering is, is not evidence of the lack of God. In fact, while of course suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish good. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. You got the Old Testament account of Joseph. It's a great example. Joseph went through terrible suffering, sold into slavery by his brothers, unfairly accused of a crime, falsely imprisoned. Then after many years, he was put in a role of great authority where he could save the lives of his family and many others. And Joseph says in Genesis fifty twenty, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about uh, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I'll never understand why some choose to view suffering as proof that there is no God. 
but they do not uh, see love and compassion as proof that there is. Have you ever sat on a mountain ridge and, and really looked at the glory of creation, especially at like sunset or early in the morning? One way or another, it takes faith. By not choosing, you are in fact making a choice. Yes, it takes faith to believe in God, but he has not only given us his word in the Bible, but that, that very same scripture says that the heavens themselves declared his evidence. I mean, look around. The evidence of God is everywhere. Consider the complexity of the human body or even just one part of the body, like the brain or the eye. I believe it takes more faith to think that it just, all this just kind of came about. It takes more faith to believe that, that just some big bang. My pastor often, often says it's as if believing a truck carrying lumber and a truck carrying hardware crashed into each other from opposite directions, and a house res- resulted. <laughs> Frankly, it's it's much easier to believe in God, to put my faith in God. The Bible says that prior to salvation, we are not part of God's family. We are slaves to sin, and either knowingly or unknowingly, we are part of the devil's family. But when we place our faith in Christ and receive his salvation, it's as if we're adopted sons and daughters of God. When we acknowledge our sins and accept the fact that Christ fully paid the cost of them at the cross at Calvary, then God no longer sees us as sinners, but instead as his redeemed children. Let me Here's Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Uh, I'll read through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I mean, Arian Foster can, can, can choose to believe or not to believe. That's up to him. They can say, if you cannot recall a time where you acknowledged your sins, you were broken and sorrowful because of your choice to reject him up till now. If you have not prayed to God and asked for forgiveness of your sins and asked him to save you from the penalty of those sins, thereby placing your faith and trust that Jesus paid it all on the cross, then I encourage you to do that today. If you want to know more, you can reach out to us through our website, btgprogram.com. But let me leave you with this reminder from God's Word. And this is Romans 10, 9, and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Benson and Those Guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. The warm weather is here to stay, but so are those pesky critters. Bees are beginning to build their hives, ants are driving everyone nuts, and spiders seem to be popping up in every corner of the house. But thanks to Town & Country Pest Solutions, these nuisances can be no more. If you have a serious problem that needs to be controlled, give them a call. I'm not just advertising for them. I am a customer, and believe me, they have the solution for any pest problem. I've mentioned it before, and it's still true. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. 
Former Baltimore Orioles star prospect and popular former Rochester Red Wing Bobby Bonner will be speaking at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton on Sunday, August 23rd. Come hear this dynamic man of God who walked away from the game of baseball while in his prime to serve the Lord as a missionary to the nation of Zambia. Bobby currently serves as a pastor in the Kansas City area, and you will be blessed by his heart to love God and serve others. And coming in September, evangelist and pastor Tim Lee will be at First Bible as part of their Counting the Cost missions focus. For more information, visit their website at fbbc.info. That's Bobby Bonner, Sunday, August 23rd, at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton. Tim Hiller was striving for a prized roster spot with the Indianapolis Colts when six words changed everything. We have to let you go. In his new book, Strive, former collegiate and NFL quarterback Tim Hiller leads you on a year-long journey, taking small steps each week on the path to making your life matter and to developing more and more into the person God designed you to be. Strive by Tim Hiller, now available on Amazon or at timhiller.com. Welcome back to the program. Benson and those guys brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. Bryce Johnson is host of the nationally syndicated program Unpacking It, which can be heard right here on CBS Sports Radio 105.5 The Team, Sunday morning, 7 a.m. He joins us once again on Benson and those guys. Bryce, thanks for taking time out to talk with us. Oh, so great to be with you, Rick. Always a lot of fun. Being based in North Carolina, you follow the Carolina Panthers pretty closely, should we make anything of the recent skirmish in training camp this week between Cam Newton and Josh Norman? You know what? I think you make something of it because I don't find the the biggest leaders in the NFL, the quarterback, when I think of the great ones, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, I don't hear those guys getting into it uh, with a with a cornerback and you know getting on the ground and, and ending up at the bottom of a pile. Um, and now we find out that, that Geno Smith with the Jets, he's got into an altercation, and now he's going to be out six to ten weeks. And so between Geno and Cam, it, it raises the question of what type of leaders they are and can they really be the type of guys that can get to that next level of those quarterbacks that I mentioned. And so, you know, I love Cam Newton's game, and as a Panthers fan, there are a lot of things to like about tuning in each week and being able to see the excitement and his ability to run and throw. He's such a, a big body and powerful. Uh, he's got a good personality in a lot of ways. He's captivating. But when it comes to some of the leadership qualities that, that I look to just from a, a fan's perspective, but somebody who admires leaders in all areas of life, uh, there are some question marks. And so, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, Cam, you know, can never grow or can never mature. I just look at what happened, you know, this past week with Josh Norman as as a an area for improvement. Now, I like when guys are passionate. I I understand in football you're going to get into some scuffles and, and all that sort of thing. So I'm not naive to think that, but I do put quarterbacks in another category, uh, especially somebody who's trying to be the the, fran- the face of the franchise, the go-to guy. Yeah, we had reports of Norman throwing a stiff arm to the helmet of Newton, and that, as you said, Newton ended up at the bottom of the pile, and you certainly can't have that happening to your franchise quarterback. And I found myself wondering, does it seem as though there's a lack of respect, perhaps, among that team for their quarterback? I think that's the perfect question to ask. It's, would, would, would another 
a defensive player on the Green Bay Packers do something like this to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I don't think that would be the case. I think there's, there's a level of respect and and now it doesn't mean like it doesn't mean that just because the quarterback's wearing the red jersey that they can't be criticized by the defense or you know there's going to be some back and forth trash talk at summer camp and all that sort of thing. So there's some of that that's just natural. It comes out, but when it goes to the point of getting physical with a quarterback on the ground, yeah, there's a lack of respect there. there there's a lack of understanding even from the, the defensive side, to say, yeah, you don't mess with the guy that has the potential to take us as far as we can go. Now, depending on what, how well Cam Newton plays will determine how far the Panthers can go. And then that's really what it comes down to. Because you look across the NFL, you know the focus, the, the importance that the quarterback position has. Uh, it's not only on the field, but it's also in the locker room as a leader with the respect of teammates, coaches, and in some ways, fans too. Um, so, so yeah, Rick, I, I think that's that's definitely a concern in in how now Josh Norman may be one guy that lacks some respect for Cam Newton, but I would at least wonder and question, uh oh, do other guys feel this way, uh, the, the same way Josh Norman does, for him to go to, to take it this far. We're talking with Bryce Johnson. Bryce is a host of Unpacking It. Unpacking It can be heard Sunday mornings right here on the team, as well as at his website, unpackingit.com. Deflategate has been all over the news since the day we first heard about it. How long do you think that that stigma of Deflategate will stick with Tom Brady? Is that something that's going to dog him the rest of his career? You know, I think it'll always be a part of, I hate to even hear the word legacy, but I guess a, a part of his conversation when you mention Tom Brady. And the problem is, because he doesn't have that many years left playing, at least just from a, a general guess, just with his age being in his mid to late 30s, and, and for the most part, that's, that's when quarterbacks sort of wind down their careers, well, he doesn't have enough time to sort of make up for it. Now, he's had such a great career, and he's had a clean record you know, on and off the field, as far as we know, uh, outside of this deflate gate, and so you would think that he would have developed enough goodwill, but unfortunately for him, this just this whole situation dragged his name through the mud for so long and so many months and conversations, layer after layer, and so people's perception of him had just been, you know, swayed because of, of this. So I, I think when you talk about Tom Brady five years from now, he, the Patriots tend to win another Super Bowl, who knows, or two. Uh, that's how talented they are all the time. Um, but is there enough time to really uh, build up more credibility or, or get people thinking or talking about another aspect of his career without thinking of the flaky? And that's kind of where I'm thinking, uh-oh, he's still going to be stuck with this. Even though in the, in the scheme of things, it probably won't be as big as it feels right now. It'll be more of a blip, but it'll still be a part of the conversation. Um, I, I think, too, we'll realize Years from now, wow, that was, or we probably know it now. Well, that was dumb that we spent so much time talking about it. But the, the Tom Brady haters and all the, the fans of teams that he beat over and over and over. And I'm a Panthers fan and Patriots beat the Panthers in the Super Bowl. So I've had to, uh, to deal with my own feelings toward him. Um, but, but I, I don't hold this against them. I, I'm kind of over it at this point. Um, so. Uh, so anyway, yeah, in a few years, will we forget about it? I think in a lot of ways uh, we will, but it'll still be at least somewhat of the conversation forever. It seems to me as though some of the 
NFL owners are beginning to show signs of dissatisfaction for Commissioner Roger Goodell and especially how he's handled this deflate gate thing. Do you think his job could be in jeopardy as NFL commissioner? Well, it's so it's one of these situations that so it's so hard to tell because his relationships with these owners are much deeper than we realize. Like we don't understand some of the the business handlings that go on, the handshake deals, what he's done for certain owners over the years that we you know, we have no idea about um, that have benefited the league, that have benefited individual owners. And, and they have his back because of that. Um, they feel good about the, the overall state of the NFL. You know, the, the Hall of Fame game on, on Sunday night got better ratings than, than uh, one of the NHL Stanley Cup games or whatever it was. And so it just shows a preseason game and, and the, the interest and entry that the NFL has. So owners are, you know, excited about that. They look at Roger Goodell as being the leader of that. Um, so it's hard to say, oh, we're going to get rid of we're going to get rid of the commissioner and potentially rock the boat with a lot of the success that the league is having. Now, are there some black eyes for sure, and there's some dark clouds hanging over the league, the Flategate and, and all the other different stories that we've talked about for the last couple of years. Um, but those are still individual stories, and I think there's plenty to criticize Goodell for and some of the leadership decisions that he's made and how he's handled certain things. Absolutely. I'm one to do that. But I also don't like to blame him for Ray Rice. Like it's not, Goodell is not Ray Rice's. He, he's not the one that made the decisions that Ray Rice did or Greg Hardy. Uh, and sometimes I think he ends up getting lumped in with those guys unfairly. Now, the criticism of how he handled the situation, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I think there's been this blurred line of blaming Goodell for the NFL's disciplinary problems. Um, and it's more, it's more the suspensions and all of that sort of thing that have had to be re- reassessed. And I think that's what they've done. Um, and hopefully moving forward, a lot of these issues will be figured out and just having an understanding, you know, if you do this, you're suspended for this. If you do this, you're fine this. Um, and so part of that Fidel's fault, he'll take a hit for that, but it's probably even a little bit deeper than that. So uh, I'm, I guess even as I'm talking, it's hard to really know what, how much to blame Goodell and how much it's to blame individual players or owners, uh, but, but a lot's at play, and I don't think it's simple to just say, all right, Goodell, you're fired, that's it. I think there's more to it than that. Getting back to Deflategate, just for a minute, on your program, you had a terrific faith-based perspective on Patriots owner Robert Kraft's statement that he was wrong to put his faith in the league. Can you sort of reset that for our listeners? Well, I thought a couple weeks ago when when, uh, Robert Kraft finally spoke and and did a very interesting press conference, basically going against everything that he had sort of stood by as far as standing up for the league and being a uh, a league guy and, and all that sort of thing, and, and basically saying, "Hey, I, I I shouldn't have put my faith in the league." And and so anytime I heard, I hear the word faith, it, it gets me thinking because I, I look at life through the lens of my faith in Jesus and and, and my faith in the Bible uh, and all that sort of thing. And and so really, what it made me realize is, you know, people have to consider where are they placing their faith, and and so. If, if Roger Goodell or uh, Robert Kraft is saying, hey, I shouldn't have put my faith in the league, then 
we have to ask, wait, where are we putting our faith? And and so Psalm 118.8 says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And so I think so many times we we put our faith in, you know, other people to, to a, an extreme extent, and, and people let us down, and, and then we'll rattle because of that. Um, but if, if we put our faith in God's truth and his word and, and put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, uh, we can, we can rest in knowing that he's going to be faithful and, and that we don't have to question, um, whether or not God loves us and, and ultimately wants, uh, you know, what, what his will is and, and, and is going to, uh, you know, use bad things for good. And so we can, we can rest in all that. Whereas, you put faith in the wrong people or the, the wrong institutions and, and all that, and ultimately you know those those, those people or, or those organizations are going to let you down. And so, uh, so anyway, on, on the show a couple weeks ago, I, I just really brought up the question of where we place in our faith, um, and just kind of take a look inward. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't trust people, but to what extent? And I think that's that's the biggest thing. And so, Robert Kraft, he went all in on trusting the NFL, and it backfired, and, and at least until this point, as we're talking today, uh, didn't work the way that, that Robert Kraft thought it would. Well, that was a great perspective uh, on faith. And speaking of faith, of course, Houston Texans back Arian Foster made headlines discussing his lack of faith, his, his atheism with ESPN the magazine. Was it odd to you how he presented the NFL locker room as a place of intolerance towards non-believers, almost as if suggesting the Tim Tebow types were more the norm than the exception. Did that seem like a sort of reversal of sorts to you? It, it really did. It was surprising to hear that uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I will say, though, that just in following the, the faith aspect of sports for, for a while and, and realizing that there are so many guys in locker rooms that are going to Bible studies that, that do follow Jesus and, and it's a very important part of their, their life, uh, that that's such a, an influence in the locker room. Um, and, and I think it's been accepted for a long time. I think, I think the issue on either side is the person that may be extreme. And so people would consider Tim Tebow extreme in the way that he demonstrates his faith. And so for Arian Foster, in a lot of ways, he's extreme to say, I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in God and, and just going all in on that way, whereas I would probably guess that people in the locker room, and we can just guess this with the people that we know in our own lives, where a lot of people say, yeah, you know, I go to church, or yeah, I believe in a higher power, or I believe in God, or something, and they have some sort of church background, there's, there's, there's something there, um, and that would be the norm, that would be kind of common, and, and so in an NFL locker room, yeah, some of the guys may show up to, to Bible study, they may participate in the prayer, they may or may not be living out what their uh, what what the Bible says or being obedient to the Lord, but they at least participate in certain things, and so that becomes norm and and part of the routine type of thing. But if you go the other way and say, "Hey, I'm not doing anything. I'm not participating. Forget about it. I don't want to hear about it," you would be seen as an extreme person or somebody that always is bringing it up and say, "Hey, you need to be a Bible study. You need to do this. You need to do that. I love God. I love God. I love God." and and it almost becomes, you know, uh, a, a distraction in a lot of ways for somebody that just, we just don't maybe, at least for me, because I grow, I've grown up in the South, and so 
we live in the Bible Belt, and so it's just very common to for the there's like a, a cultural church going mentality. And so I think for Arian Foster, who spent time at Tennessee and, and now in Houston, other Bible Belt areas, um, it's difficult to be somebody who, who just totally rejects it. So I can kind of see, I guess, where Foster feels like, whoa, I'm, I'm in a, a completely different world here, being totally vocal about disbelief and saying, hey, I don't, I don't believe in anything. Bryce Johnson is the host of nationally syndicated show Unpacking It. He joins Benson and those guys once again. Unpacking It, of course, can be heard tomorrow morning and every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. right here on 105.5 The Team. Bryce, for those who may not be familiar, can you tell our audience a bit about your show? Yeah, so basically each week on Unpacking It, we, we look at the weekend sport from a faith perspective. Uh, we talk to a lot of different sports figures uh, about their own lives, about their faith journeys, and, and also uh, just about their families and, and also discuss kind of big issues with them as well. Um, so we look at the, the issues in sports and society and, and look at the kind of the culture and all of those things through the lens of faith, through the lens of the Bible. And, and so I'm a huge sports fan, uh, love sports media, but, but ultimately I, I love Jesus and, and want to be able to, uh, really just look at things from a different lens and, and be able to hopefully provide people some, some thought provoking conversations and, and, and be able to uh, just share my heart and, and what God's doing in my own life and, and, and how that, that really intersects and, and intertwines with, with sports. And so, uh, we have a lot of fun. Uh, actually just celebrated three years of doing the show. So, uh, so God continues to bless it and, uh, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity each week to, uh, to talk sports and faith. Well, congratulations, Bryce, on three years. We love the show, love what you're doing there. How can we pray for you? What are your prayer requests? Yeah, pray for uh, for clarity with, with kind of the fall coming up and some new opportunities that are, are being presented, uh, just that I'd, I'd be wise and and follow God's will, and um, I just continue to be, be obedient to Him. So uh, I appreciate that for sure. Bryce, thanks again for joining us. As always, pleasure to talk to you. All right, Rick. Anytime. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. He's Bryce Johnson. The show is Unpacking It. You can find it at unpackingit.com. Our show is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. So at the end of every show, we go around the room. We give our pest of the week. And mine this week is anybody who trolls courtroom sketch artist Jane Rosenberg because her illustration of Tom Brady was more ugly than you would like. And if you are calling her or if you are sending her hateful emails, you are my pest of the week. My pest of the week is the New York Yankees because on Wednesday night, Benson, you and I were in Cleveland for Yankees-Indians. Yankees got shut out. I think only managed like four hits. The next night they scored eight runs. Wish they would have done that when we were there. So they're my pest of the week. That's our show for this week. Benson and Those Guys is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Thanks so much for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at BTG Program or visit our website, btgprogram.com. Benson and Those Guys brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. <laughs>